Welcome to the Advanced Persistent Security Podcast, where we discuss the world of IT and cybersecurity. Don't be left in the dark about what is going on in the world around you. Here is your host, Joe Gray. Welcome to the Advanced Persistent Security Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Gray. Before we get started, the thoughts and opinions expressed on this show are mine and my guests alone and do not reflect those of our employers past, present, or future. With me this evening is Adrian Sanabria. Adrian is a mainstay in information security. You may have seen him at various conferences. Uh, You may have done business with him. He's worked uh, at a lot of the key places, including 451 Research and Savage Security. And if you're in the Knoxville area, you may recognize him uh, as either the organizer of B-Sides Knoxville or one of the original organizers of DC-865. Welcome, Adrian. Thanks, Joe. It's good to be here. It's always a good day. I mean, the weather's beautiful and we're stuck inside recording a podcast, right? Oh, we could walk outside. <laughs> uh, not in my apartment complex. There's some screaming kids. Um, so I expect, okay. I expect them to pick, get picked up in the background. Uh, but anyway, uh, so based on the introduction I gave, uh, go ahead, fill in the blanks and uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. So my background is as a practitioner. I started out on the IT side, uh, working for a company here in in Knoxville, uh, Elevon, which is the uh, credit card processing side of U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank actually bought them uh, two weeks before I joined there. And that was a great place to learn security. You know, just millions of credit card numbers flying around. Uh, That was uh, back far enough that it was pre-PCI. Uh, so I got to learn PCI and deal with that from the very beginning and, and all the way through. And that was, um, that was exciting. <laughs> got a lot of experience there. And, and, you know, once I left, uh, that organization, yeah, I, I actually went from the IT side to the security side while I was there, spent half my eight years there on the IT side and half my, uh, years there on the security side. Uh, I went to consulting and ended up being a, a PCI QSA because I had all that background. Um, I really wanted to pen test. You know, that was my dream was to become a pen tester, but I, I thought it would help me get the job to say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I know loads about PCI. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a PCI expert. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't mind doing some QSA stuff. And then I end up doing almost entirely QSA stuff. And it's, it, yeah, it's awful and it's soul sucking work and it's. Um, I still get a lot of pen tests in there. I've got a lot of good stories, uh, so so no regrets long term on that. I actually enjoyed a lot of the PCI work, um, you know, because you you still do have an opportunity to make an impact, make a difference on security, uh, even when you're doing PCI. And I was at a small enough place that you know I helped define how we delivered. Uh, PCI engagements, you know, we ended up breaking them down so that we could help the customer over time with different as- aspects of it. Um, yeah, so so it was, overall, it was a positive uh, experience. I I wouldn't ever go back and become a QSA again, though. I have to say that I've heard that story from more than one QSA about like when I did QSA stuff, it was great. I loved it. Now that I'm not doing it, you could not pay me to go back. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I got ridiculous sums thrown at me to to go back and do that for some of the larger QSA firms. And it, it's just the way it's set up. It's, 
if you're just doing the gap analysis, just helping customers become compliant, it would be one thing. But it, it's doing the rock and all the evidence you have to gather for the rock. It's just soul-sucking work. Uh, and I'm sure it is for people on the other side that have to provide all that evidence and have to organize it and maintain it and manage it and all that stuff. But after um, consulting, I went back to the enterprise side for a little bit and went over to 451 which is an analyst firm that competes with the Gartners and the Foresters of the world. And it was almost like a new career for me. So I got to learn the, the business side of the industry, uh, investor terminology. I, I didn't know what a Series A, a Series B were. You know, I, I pestered the crap out of some of the financial analysts there to learn uh, you know, a lot of that tradecraft and a lot of the terminology and learned how to read an S1, how to read between the lines in a press release, uh, and, and uh, again, that, that was, uh, you know, hugely rewarding learning experience for me. And, uh, and I, I describe it as a luxury because having been a practitioner at that point for almost 10 years and a consultant for almost four years, you know, almost, you know, 15 years into my career at that point, you know, I, I, it was my job to now write about the industry. Where is it going? What's going on? What's wrong? What's, what's right? Uh, so I, I describe it as a luxury, you know, I got to, got to sit there and really think hard for days and weeks at a time about some of the hard problems in security and then bounce those ideas off of, you know, the CEO of this company, founder of this company, you know, these entrepreneurs, uh, these enterprises, uh, and, and get feedback and things like that. You know, so the only thing I couldn't do is actually try out these ideas. You know, I'm just writing about the industry. So there's no... Uh, you know, 451 doesn't have a labs component. You know, there's no hands-on opportunities. So ultimately, that was the bit that drove me back out and led to me starting uh, Savage Security with Kyle. Uh, and, and uh, you know, that kind of brings us up to current. I, I do believe so. Um, so with that, uh, you're, you're doing the Savage thing. But uh, aside from B-Sides Knoxville, I hear there was this tiny little startup conference uh, they're expected to have about 10 people at it uh, in San Francisco. It's um, next week. It's called uh, RSA. Uh, I, I'm not sure if any of the listeners have heard of it. Uh, and just as a disclaimer, we are recording this before RSA. It will be published after RSA. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, tell us a little bit about what uh, you're going to be talking about the, at this tiny little startup conference. Yeah, tiny conference, not 40,000 people. Hotel rooms don't cost $700 a night. Uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be great. Yeah, no, I, I actually enjoy RSA. You know, I think RSA takes a lot of flack, but it's a big enough conference that the experience is completely different depending on how you attend it and how you experience it. So I always experienced it from an industry analyst perspective, which means I was talking to vendors about all their new stuff that, you know, they save up all their stuff for RSA. Um, so it was always exciting for me. Um, hearing about all the cool new stuff, who's competing with who, who's acquiring who, uh, you know, is always very exciting uh, for me. I, I can see going to the talks how it might be, uh, you know, maybe a little less exciting, but you know, there's still a lot of talks there I'm, I'm interested in seeing. And I'm interested in the feedback on, on the talk I'm delivering, which, uh, you know, very polarizing and controversial title, It's Time to Kill the Pen Test. What? It is time to kill the pen test. What are you? What, what are you trying to sell? No, I'm purely kidding here. Um, just piggybacking off of the uh, 
the idea that RSA is VendorCon, which this is going to be my first RSA, so I can't make a, an informed uh, opinion either way. So uh, looking at your abstract here, basically, I, I see here you're saying there's not a lot of value in the organization that's paying for the pen test and that the test itself hasn't changed. And it's basically becoming a compliance activity um, and it's really not doing anything to protect against breaches. Uh, tell us more about those ideas. So Haroon Mir in 2011 at 44Con at, at his keynote uh, said, pen tests are the new AV. And I think it's absolutely accurate. It's it's something that we're still doing this way because we've always done it this way, and that's always a dangerous uh, that's a dangerous line, you know, when that applies to something you're doing. You know, why are you doing it this way? Uh, I don't know. We've always done it this way. You need to be able to justify, you know, here's how we're doing it, here's why we're doing it, and you know, here's some provable value uh, uh, from from what we're doing. That that you know that, that this is how we're doing it. Um, you, you've got to be able to justify that. You've got to be able to, um, you know, draw some kind of bottom line. Uh, and the, in security in general, in a lot of cases, uh, I find we we have a hard time applying science to things, and and we do end up doing a lot of things just because that's the way it's always been done. So you know, long story short, what I'm what I'm trying to do here is say that. You know, it's it's not pen testing as a skill that's the problem. Uh, I I still think it's a very valuable skill. We we need it. Uh, we we still need pen testers, but as a consulting offering, I think it's a terrible value. And when I look at the average pen test, you know, I see a huge chunk on the front end is is spent scanning uh, the customer's network, waiting for that scan to complete. Uh, and, and that vulnerability scan, the customer's probably already got that. And then on the on the back end. Um, you're paying somebody that pen testing rate to write up the results in, in Microsoft Word or something like that. You know, so writing the report and waiting on scans, uh, you know, results in very little time uh, from what you're actually paying for. You know, and I, I've spitballed it at like 20%. Of course, that's going to vary between different firms, how they do things. I, I've run into pen testing firms that have actually cut out the report part entirely. Um, you know, they, they have a portal that the results go into, they, they automate most of it, which is what I'm advocating here. Um, you know, so it, it's really tough to generalize with pen testing because everybody's got different definitions. Uh, everybody has a different offering, you know, that, that does pen testing services. Uh, but really what I'm focusing on here is, is kind of the industry standard network pen test. Uh, where it, it's run a vulnerability scan, look at the results, prioritize them, try to exploit some of them. You know, if you can exploit some of them, try to pivot from that, see how far you can go, and then write a report. And uh, and basically, I'm saying that a lot of that work can be automated, and, and we can do so much more for that same amount of time and that same amount of money. That makes perfect sense. Because like you said, you have a variety of terms that companies will, or a variety of offerings that companies will call pen testing. You know, we always hear the jokes, okay, you paid for a pen test. Here's your vulnerability scan results. Have a nice day. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, we also hear on the other end of it, some of the firms go closer to red team engagements more so than they do of a general pen test. And they may use completely... They use like some very weird tactics. And what I mean by that is they're not realistic. Right. There would be something that's like a fringe case scenario 
And I mean, if a nation state's after you, they're after you. If you can defend against it, great. But uh, I'm going to say the vast majority uh, of of organizations in the world will not be able to protect against a nation state or an APT of that sort. So does it really make sense for a pen test firm to come in and use these techniques when they could have just as easily used NMAP, NICTO, Medusa, uh, WP scan, uh, and maybe Metasploit? Sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, that is the goal. And, and you know, if, if you haven't watched it, I, re I really do recommend it. If you're interested in my talk at RSA, which, you know, this is going to come out after RSA, but I'm, I'm going to try and get somebody to, to record it for me. You know, I don't, I don't think they typically record, uh, any, but the, the most highly, uh, uh, anticipated talks, you know, like the keynote level level talks, because they've got so much going on there. But um, but yeah, the Haroon Mir's uh, talk, pen testing considered harmful. Um, you know, w w was a lot of the inspiration behind this. Ultimately, I, the real inspiration behind this was my own experience and, and just talking to my friends who are still pen testers and and just other pen testers. Uh, you, you know, at conferences and things like that. And just hearing, you know, you know, these guys are depressed, you know, and, and, and gals and, and they just, they're not seeing things get better. They're not seeing things change. They're not seeing pen testing result in a better defender. And so we, you know, me and Kyle started to think, okay, you know, what, what would a better pen test look like? Or, it, you know, if we were to replace this with something, what would it look like? And we started doing things like uh, breach simulations. Like, you know, what is the pen test ultimately supposed to do? It's, it's supposed to simulate what you don't want to happen. You know, to simulate, uh, you know, the bad things that happen that you hope you can, uh, you're resilient enough to either uh, uh, prevent or defend against or survive as, as a business. And when you look at what is done during a pen test, uh, it only scratches the surface of that. You know, if, uh, a lot of organizations now, you know, ransomware is, is their worst day ever. And there's nothing in a pen test that's really going to show you what happens with a piece of ransomware that has a worm component, like uh, NotPetya or, or uh, WannaCry, something like that. And, and you can go out to GitHub. There are simulated ransomwares out there, you know, and I, I'm actually working on, on one of my own. And I think it's super important. I think that's something we should do in any kind of penetration test or, or whatever replaces the pen test, which I, I don't have a name for. And I, I have no idea what to call this, this replacement. You know, may, maybe we end up just calling it a, a better pen test. But, you know, we, we should know, you know, what ransomware is going to do, you know, especially with a worm component or a wiper, God forbid, uh, when released in your environment. Is it going to tear through like tissue paper uh, or is it going to get stopped at certain points? You should know that. I totally agree. And uh, I, I'm going to I'm going to give you an idea for a name. So just to, to piggy out back off of Petcha and not Petcha, I would just call it not pen test. Um, <laughs> that, that's a replacement, not not a pen test. Exactly. But no, I, I totally agree because, you know, when, when you look at some of the scoping documents for pen tests, you know, the, the testers basically, their objective is to go off, get domain admin, get DA, and start collecting some artifacts. When we look at the number of breaches, like, for example, SamSam, 
um, or other uh, like crisis and things like that when when attackers are coming in and their objective is not to get domain admin and take over everything. Their objective is to either, uh, without domain admin, hit them with ransomware or gather some data, find a way to exfiltrate it, be it via encrypted channels, non-HTTPS over 443, um, which there's a comma in between those, uploading it uh, to a public website, uh, Stego, in- insert way here, ping, uh, DNS, you know, the, the there's... There's a dozen or more ways uh, mm-hmm. for data exfiltration, and you know when we look at it, you know, the attacker's objective is not always so, getting domain admin. Uh, sometimes it's just to get someone to click the fish that allows them to do Bitcoin mining with their C- yeah. CPU cycles. Um, and and I and I think that's really a good rabbit hole you're going down. Um, so I'll turn it back over. Yeah, yeah, and that's something that Haroon Mir does does pick on is is the fact that we're and this is uh, again 2011 this is seven years ago he's saying uh you know pen testers are are not emulating uh adversaries uh, they're emulating other pen testers at this point and, and we're seven years away from that you know and things have, have not gotten better um at, at least as far as the traditional pen test goes i i think we do more than ever now have more boutique pen testing firms that are doing adversary simulation, stuff like that. Uh, Chris Nickerson has given a lot of talks on that. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of tools out there that do some of this uh, breach and adversary uh, attacker simulation stuff, um, you know, that, that are easy enough to use that, that you can use in your own environment. A pen tester can use it, you know, and, and, and kind of show you how you would fare if some of these different breach activities occurred. You know, it, it's relatively easy these days to pick a breach from a list and say, okay, simulate this breach and let's see how we do. Yeah, and that's something you can easily translate to the board. You know, you can go to the board, they can say, how secure are we? You can say, well, you know, here, here's, you know, we simulated the target breach, we simulated a breach from however many years ago, and, and we failed that. So we've got some work to do, you know, and the good news is we specifically know where we need to work on things. And, and that's where, you know, I feel like the pen test was, was kind of failing us. Because it was very focused on uh, some very specific things like misconfigurations, missing patches, you know, mostly preventative controls. Uh, and, and that's where it kind of hit me as a pen tester myself. Like I would do things during a pen test and I'd think, man, people should be running in the room like screaming at, right, at me right now. What, why hasn't anybody noticed that I'm doing X, Y, or Z? And, uh, you know, when they do run in the room and start screaming, it would be for the Mm -hmm. dumbest reasons. Like I I did one pen test where they just had like 20 year old switches and and just a simple Nmap scan was enough to overflow the budget, the the buffers on the switches and (laughs) the, the, the switches started rebooting and stuff like that. And it was just, uh, uh, a mess because their hardware was, was so old, you know, so that got people running in and, and, and screaming you know, but creating new local accounts, no screaming. Creating mm-hmm. domain admin accounts, no screaming. Uh, you know, one of my MOs is I, I would uh, steal credentials and then I turn off uh, AV over WMI. You know, I just, uh, effectively do a, a net stop uh, Symantec or net stop McAfee, do whatever I need to do with Meterpreter or uh, Kane Enable or whatever, you know, and then turn it back on when I'm done. And I know that sends. Uh, a log 
almost all the AV out there, if not all the AV out there, says, hey, AV was turned off on this, uh, was manually turned off on the system. You know, I know that sends an alert, but nobody ever sees it. Not once did I ever have somebody see that stuff. So that was my first inkling that there was something wrong with the, the pen test. You know, there should have been some component where we're telling them, you know, not in the report that they finally open up and read three months later, but right now, as you know, this is a problem. How come you're not seeing this stuff? You know, they, these I know these logs are going somewhere. You know, you need to fix it so that it's lighting you up and and you know having some kind of response, evoking some kind of response from your security team. There's two things that come to mind immediately in, in what you just said. Number one, I think uh, I'm thinking back to a previous episode where I had Joe Vest and James Tuberville, uh, formerly of Menace. Now they work uh, at uh, Spectre Ops. Uh, they co-authored the uh, SANS Red Team course. It sounds like you're actually heavily mm-hmm. advocating for Red Team exercises where you have that one specific objective to simulate this at this type of <laughs> adversary, simulate this type of attack, do this, um, and they would they would not be quiet about it. Uh, they would they would go as far as to trigger music to play on people's computer. I, I asked the question, was it a rickroll? And they said no. And then in hindsight, I'm like, it was thunderstruck. Um, but at the same time, you know, on the topic of rainbow teams, um, I think what you're really advocating, besides just the red team side of it, is um and vendors please don't hate me for this but purple teaming where you've actually got a red team in doing their nefarious deeds in an effort for the blue team to actually detect and respond to them when when i've I've never been a pen tester but whenever i would assist the pen test team with social engineering engagements yeah don't get me wrong i always wanted to get really good numbers and say yeah i had this click rate i got these many passwords whatever but at the same time in the back of my mind i also wanted to get caught so i wouldn't do anything that would be so obvious that someone would be like oh you're you're done but if someone reported me and the team took action to prevent me from doing further damage i was all for it and i, and I gave kudos and reports for that um and i think that's the true epitome of purple teaming more so than um, what some vendors may be pushing right now. Yeah. So, so my biggest problem with, uh, and, and this is where I kind of separate from the idea of red teaming and purple teaming is most of the times you see that, you know, it, it's something that people describe as, you know, a more advanced consulting offering, you know, when you're more mature, when you're ready for that kind of thing, we'll do that, you know, but until then we'll just do a pen test. And in reality, you know, I, I, I think the very entry-level consulting offering uh, should look more like red teaming and purple teaming, but entirely white box. So, you know, if, if you're the kind of organization that gets just opportunistic infections on a regular basis, like a piece of malware, you know, just gets on systems, you've, you've got to uh, eradicate it, you know, you got to rebuild desktops, reimage them, whatever you know, that there's, there's absolutely no reason you should be doing any kind of targeted attack simulations or anything like that. You know, I like to say, you know, most experienced pen testers just need a five or 10 minute interview with most IT teams or security teams, and they could hand them the pen test. They could write the pen test after that five or 10 minute interview. They know what's going to be wrong because it's the same in every organization, in every case. You know, yeah, may, maybe this one organization has, you know, a, a, a different brand, um, you know, has a Tanberg instead of, you know, uh, you know Cisco 
uh, teleconferencing equipment with default creds, you know, but it, it's still the same issues. You know, it's still default creds. It's still missing patches. It's still uh, a flat network. You know, it, it's still the same stuff you're putting in your reports over and over and over to the point to where some of these firms have automated it because once you write up, you know, a vulnerability or finding once, there's there's no need to really replicate that. You know, and what I think we should be doing is just going in and saying, hey, you know, do you have the same admin password on all your systems? Okay, <laughs> you know, let, let, let's help you fix that. Let's introduce you to LAPS or something like that. You know, let, let's, uh, let, let's work with you on the basics instead of, you know, doing a, any kind of black box assessment is just a really super slow way of working through the CIS 20. Working those and <laughs> like you can do it right. so much faster if you're just totally honest. You have a conversation. You say, "Yeah, no, we we have no security controls." Okay, well, let's just let's start impl helping you implement those instead of doing a pen test and wasting your time and money. I, I'm sorry, I have to do this, but let's look at things from the perspective of OSINT for a moment. Sure. Um, the amount of information you can find out about an organization online via things like Indeed, LinkedIn, Glassdoor, Facebook. Uh, SEC filings, Bloomberg, uh, and Google, uh, I mean, that almost negates the need of a black box test because you can just about attain white box level knowledge uh, if you spend the time doing the OSINT. And in a simulated environment, you don't necessarily need to do the OSINT if you just sit and have the interview. I mean, I could see that as a, an add-on, hey, we'll tell you what we can find about you. But uh, realistically, you know, in this day and age, you can find out almost anything about anyone um, with a few clicks and a few keystrokes. So, you know, it, it makes sense. And then from the other side of the coin, away from OSINT, uh, with regards to the uh, efficiency in the white box testing environment of this, uh, when we look at sophisticated adversaries, we, we think about dwell time. And, you know, when we're talking like seven or eight months as dwell time, they basically, whenever they do the quote unquote unauthorized pen test and do the main brunt of what they're trying to do at that point, they've pretty much reached white box level status because they've been able to sit and watch uh, for that long. And they probably know the network better than other system administrators. They may have even done defensive tactics to keep other attackers out. Yeah. Dwell time should not be a term that, that we know and understand and have defined. If, if we had done things correctly from the start, dwell time wouldn't exist as a, as a term. And, you know, one argument I've had, uh, on Twitter is that dwell time is, is not even a useful statistic as long as we're talking in terms of days, you know, because when we look at the actual, uh, you know, incident response outcomes and, and breach outcomes, you know, most of it can happen in minutes or hours, you know, depending on what the goal is. You know, when we're talking about ransomware, you, you've got seconds as it tears through the network, spreads from machine to machine and, and starts encrypting files. You know, they, these tools, uh, you know, for, for the attackers on the, on the criminal side, uh, you know, there's a reason they don't encrypt the whole files. They're built for speed. You know, they, they know that they don't have to encrypt the entire file to make it useless. Uh, all they have to do is hit that file header. You know, so they, they encrypt the first thousand bytes or first 2,000 bytes and move on to the next file. They don't encrypt all the files. They just encrypt certain file extensions. So uh, time is important, you know, and speed is important with this stuff. 
and talking about, oh, the dwell time went from 240 days three years ago to 99 days. And actually now the latest MTrends report comes out and it's trended up to what, uh, you know, from 99 to 101. You know, it's all meaningless because it's all, you know, <laughs> until we're talking about hours, mm-hmm. you know, detection time in, in hours, at least in hours, uh, none of it matters. Yeah. And one of the biggest fallacies that I bought into prior to becoming a consultant was that all organizations had a sim and actually monitored uh, for things like this. Uh, and then getting into consulting, mm-hmm. I learned very quickly that uh, that's definitely not the case. And and those people should go especially talk to you and Kyle. Um, Kyle with his, uh, what I would consider his flagship talk of uh, basically building out a security program on zero budget. Um, and it's, it's fully plausible. Yeah. Um, secure does not mean expensive. You don't have to go off and buy uh, some whiz-bang $100,000 appliance to be secure. Uh, security primarily comes from the basics. Uh, when you master the basics, then that $100,000 appliance might actually do something for you. But yeah. if you're not mastering the basics, um, you know, I'll use Palo Alto for an example because you know we all know how expensive those devices are. You can have one, but if you're not patching, if you're not uh, basically following the first five uh, critical security controls, you're not doing account management, you don't know your authorized and unauthorized hardware and software, what, what point does it serve? Well, and, and we found actually going in and doing these breach and attack simulations, we, we've not had uh, a managed security service provider find us yet. Um, and, and most of the ones that we've gone up against or, or that have been in the environments that we've tested are, are purely, you know, purely network controls. You know, usually it's an IDS, IPS, or, or they've got some kind of hook into a Fortinet device or Palo Alto de- device or, or, or something like that. And all, all your traffic's encrypted these days. And typically most companies aren't doing any kind of decryption, you know, so there's, you know, no detections, you know, even uh, hitting, you know, key DNS that should pop up red flags like the, um, the WannaCry uh, kill, uh, kill URL, uh, kill domain, you know, that, that's still, you know, they don't get a call from their MS, MSSP, you know, they don't see that. When we hit that, uh, or or even dot onion, I mean that's something that for most organizations, if anything's hitting dot onion, um, yeah. hello alarm, tor nodes, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tor is is not a normal thing to see from inside the network. Yeah, all, all kinds of C two stuff, and, and and that's the kind of thing where in a lot of cases it, it's not necessarily Palo Alto's fault. You know, it's, it's the fact that, you know, you assumed you could just take this thing out of the box and it would do all kinds of stuff to protect you. When, in fact, you know, especially with a SIM, the reality is it takes a lot of work, you know, and, and how do you do that? And, and, you know, this replacement for the pen test uh, really focuses on, okay, let, let's actually test your controls, your tools, uh, see how well they're doing in, in protecting you. And we want to do that. And thanks to the magic of automation, you know, we, we can do that right up front, like generally two hours into an engagement, you know, with a lot of automated, uh, you know, attack and breach simulations, we can tell you right up front, uh, you know, here's a whole list of things that have failed. So let's start looking at how these things are configured. Uh, let's, let's start looking at how we can fix some of these things and use some of this consulting time 
to uh, to actively investigate and fix things. But that means that you would have to do more than rely on that whiz bang box. I mean, you know, why, why are you going to try to get your uh, host logs off of the system and onto that? Why are you going to try to get any EDR or AV solutions logs into your SIM? Why are you trying to do file integrity monitoring or hashing or even, you know, God forbid, fuzzy hashing? Well, I mean, I'm sorry if the cynicism is just bleeding through on this, but... <laughs> I, I, I suspect a sarcastic tone. Uh, yeah, there's quite a bit of it. And, uh, you know, it's, I think that's one of the fundamental problems. And it's, I always ask the question, who do we blame? Do we blame other professionals? Do we blame ourselves? Do we blame the salespeople? Do we blame the decision makers? Um, or, mm -hmm. or I think the real answer is, um, do we all just share the blame and collaborate to try to make things better in the future? Yeah, I, I, I think one of those, probably the latter, is is the most constructive. Because, <laughs> you, you know, again, well, and, and I will say the amount of marketing and, and money thrown towards marketing uh, in, in this industry uh, has a deleterious effect and, you know, is, is definitely something that we have to fight against. Um, th there's not really a build versus buy, uh, you know, perspective in our industry. You know, generally it's, if I have a problem, you know, I'm going to go to the expo floor and shop around for a solution. You know, it's, it's not, okay, let's analyze the problem. You know, what are the different options to fix it? Could we build something ourselves? Is there something open source? You know, generally it's just straight to a vendor to solve that problem for us. And, you know, the, the truth of it is that in some cases, it's actually a lot easier to build it yourself because no matter what you buy, there's going to be a certain level of maintenance of customization, you know, implementation work to get that product to the point to where it has value. And again, that that's where I feel like a consulting organization can come in and, and help with this and, and reveal, you know, kind of th these base truths that, Hey, you guys actually have some good tools. They're just not configured very well yet, but let, let's help you with that. And I couldn't agree more. And, you know, coming from a DOD background, uh, one of the major uh, problems we ran into there is we weren't allowed to use open source. If you could not get support on it, it just wasn't an option. And I, I think that's one of those fallacies that definitely uh, bites us in the rear. Um, but, but with that being yeah, said, that's, that's um, let's go ahead and uh, start to transition about uh, another more well-known conference uh, than RSA that's occurring in May in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, and that's uh, B-Sides. Tell us a little bit more about that. <laughs> yeah, so, so the world-renowned B-Sides Knoxville conference, um, it's actually kind of funny because we're, we're paired with uh, uh, Cisco's internal offensive security summit. So uh, secure, uh, Cisco's, uh, I think the group's called ACES. Uh, I forget what the acronym stands for, but they're Advanced Security Research Group, basically. Um, you know, one of the centers uh, for ACES is in Knoxville, as I understand it. Um, not a Cisco employee, you know, don't, don't know the full details of that, but that's kind of how our B-sides got started. And I'm obviously not one of the Cisco guys, but, um, you know, they, they've been... Uh, platinum sponsor every year. Um, you know, generally half and half of the organizers are from the Cisco group and, and half not. And, um, 
it's resulted in some really interesting talks at our conference. You know, uh, traditionally before they closed a group in Israel, um, you know, they'd fly 30 plus uh, Israelis over here uh, and they'd submit to both the, you know, they do talks at both the Offensive Security Summit, uh, which has traditionally been just internal, but they, they actually do uh, invite outsiders to that conference these days. So if you know somebody at Cisco, uh, you can get an invite to that conference. And it's a three-day conference that goes from Tuesday to Thursday before besides Knoxville on, on Friday, which this year is, is May 18th. Um, <clears throat> and it, they've since closed down the, uh, the Israeli uh, office for that. Uh, but we still get some great, um, we get some people from Talos, which uh, Cisco acquired, which is a great uh, security research firm. Um, and, and we still get some, we still have some great connections and get some uh, good submissions uh, to besides Knoxville. And, uh, and we're really happy with the, uh, the talks we get to announce this year, which uh, I, I do have some exclusives for you here. Oh man, oh man, you heard it here first. <laughs> you did, yeah. So Kelly Shortridge uh, is doing our she's our keynote speaker, and the title of her talk is "Security as a Product." And you know, basically, what she's doing is she's taking the concept of the internal enterprise security department, which I, I think in most organizations has some level of dysfunction. Uh, you know, and, and that's going to resonate with, with most security teams. And she's kind of pitching it a different way, you know, instead of the, you know, firefighting, which is all too common, you know, just jumping from one emergency, uh, emergency or, or news story to the next, uh, you know, to a more focused role. And, and the way she's doing it is she's pitching security as a product. You know, it's a, it's a title and kind of, um, and she is a product manager at, uh, um, you know, the company she works for. So, so maybe that's, that's part of where that, uh, that idea is coming from, but we're really excited to see that she does a lot of, uh, you know, she's a, a big picture thinker like me, you know, so a lot of her talks really resonate with me. So I'm kind of being selfish with this keynote, <laughs> really excited to see it, but you know, I, I hope I'm not the only one. I hope it resonates with other attendees as well. We've got some other good talks. We've got, uh, Robert Graham is speaking. And uh, awesome! Yeah, we're really excited about that one. Uh, if you know, uh, you know, I think he uh, originally created the the IDS IPS or something like that. You know, you read his bio and it's just ridiculous. It's like, is you know, is there a typo here? But um, he also created MassScan, which is what a lot of people use uh, to scan the entire internet. You know, a tool that that doesn't really you know, it's really super fast because it doesn't wait for replies before moving on to the next thing. Uh, and uh, I think his talk is going to have to do with a lot of his research into, <clears throat> um, you know, how, how to speed up code, how to speed up uh, internet scanning, you know, getting things through to the network stack. And he, I, I think he kind of jokingly put in his uh, uh, notes to the speakers uh, you know, hey, if you want to give me a, a reliable 10 gig uh, network stack, you know, I'll, I'll see if I can melt it. You know, and I told that to the Cisco guys and they're like, yeah, yeah, we can do that. <laughs> we'll give them some hardware. So I'm really excited to, to try and get him a, a demo rig to melt on stage with packets. 
Are you are you going to play Whitey Cracker's uh, packets in the background as it melts with packets? So that's a unique thing about B-Sides Knoxville. And, and this is something, uh, you know, back when I used to consult, the, the other consultants there got me into MMA. And when we started B-Sides Knoxville, it just seemed natural to me to say, hey, all the speakers get a walkout song. You know, so I insist that speakers choose walkout songs. And if they don't, uh, we, we choose them for them. And, you know, we generally go for something kind of embarrassing. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> so, so that, that would actually uh, that would be an interesting walkout song if he hasn't uh, chosen something. So I'll have to, <laughs> I'll have to keep that in mind. Uh, I spoke last year and uh, my walkout was uh, Social Engineering by Whitey Cracker. But uh, it, it, it's funny that the MMA background is there because... It's almost cheating with your walkout song. Yeah. The fact that there's some nerdcore rapper who's already covered the exact topic you're going to be talking about. That's cheating. Well, if I wasn't going to go with that one, I could always go with, I always feel like somebody's watching me. I mean, that one works too, because the talk also had OSINT in it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's only slightly cheating. Um, but I, I was telling my, my non-tech cousin about this, and, and he and I... Um, we're pro wrestling fans, which is actually where MMA got that from. Um, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he's like, what's your walkout song? Like, do you walk out to like the shattering glass, like stone cold? It was like, no, but I wish more cons would do this. And then like two weeks later, I got accepted to B sides. So I was like, I get to do it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and, um, at least one other conference that I know of has, has said, Hey, can we copy that? Can we do that too? And of course we're like, Absolutely. Everybody should get a walkout song. As someone who speaks a lot, um, my follow Friday speak for themselves on that, uh, pun intended. Um, any con organizers listening to this, I highly endorse that idea. <laughs> highly endorse the idea. Besides Knoxville, is going to be May 18th, uh, Market Square. Uh, same three venues as last year, correct? Yep. Uh, the Knoxville uh, Entrepreneurial Center, Preservation Pub, and Scruffy City Hall. There will be booze, correct? It is in a bar. <laughs> to, to track one and track three are bars. So yeah, that that's that's a given. Okay. And w- with a ticket, with a twenty five dollar ticket, you get uh, two drink tickets. Uh, not everybody drinks, you know, so you can uh, donate those tickets for the uh, bands that play at the after party. Um, and we we've got free water, coffee, soda all day long to all attendees. We feed breakfast and lunch. You know, so it's it's not like uh, everything's hinged on on just the alcohol. Absolutely, you know, we we put that money to 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 good use, and as a B sides, you know, our our goal at the end of the day is to come up with a uh, a zero dollar budget at the end of the day to spend every one of those dollars. We 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 make no profits. Awesome, and you know this this being my hometown, my backyard, if you will, as well. And I mean, if you don't want to eat at the con or you want to step away from the con, the part of town that it's in has, oh, yeah. you cannot throw a rock without hitting There's a like restaurant. 30, 30 restaurants within, uh, you know, five minutes or less. Absolutely. Lock. Yeah. I was yeah. about to say on foot. Um, and on foot, yeah, yeah. And it, it's not in a bad part of town. Everything's solid. Uh, I can't say enough good things about, uh, besides Knoxville. It was actually besides Knoxville. 2016 was actually the first conference that I ever attended, and then later in the year, I went to B-Sides Augusta and Hacker Halted, and then 2017 started, and the rest is history. So Nice. Unfortunately, I, didn't, I, I, didn't, I didn't know. I'm sorry, Joe. I didn't, I didn't realize we were your first. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I don't, I don't con and tell too much. 
That's awesome. But unfortunately, I'll be missing this year uh, due to other obligations. But um, I mean, ah. anyone in the area, uh, Knoxville is three hours or well, I'll say this. Uh, it's six hours from Indianapolis, four to five from Louisville, two and a half from Lexington, three from Atlanta, three from Nashville, an hour from Chattanooga, two hours from Asheville, not far from Charlotte, Raleigh, Charleston's not far away, Bristol, Virginia, all the way up to Roanoke. There's a lot of places. Huntsville's three hours away. Anyone listening in the area, if you, if you can make it, it's you know it's well worth your time for the drive. And I mean, if you need to spend the night in a hotel, Knoxville is not a very expensive city. I mean, you can get your thirty nine dollar a night hotel rooms, or you can go upwards of two hundred. But you're going to have a lot more things in the sweet spot. Yeah, yeah, better deals than the uh, seven hundred dollar. Uh, San Francisco hotel rooms for our say. Yeah. So about that, um, I looked at those. Uh, I'm actually going to be staying in Oakland because uh, Mm -hmm. it was the um, most reasonably priced hotel um, that was reputable. That's where where I am. I'm in Oakland. We'll we'll talk about where we're going to be offline. Um, But uh, (laughs) I I was looking for other deals on hotels.com yesterday, just, you know, goofing off i found that there's these places that have pods and the pods they're just oh san francisco's weird man right i I was looking at cheaper hotels that that were like within a certain distance of of the place and it's like you know all all of a sudden you're in some you know just nightmare nightscape nightmare scape oh yeah (laughs) some horror scape you know, where it's like, uh, you know, one bathroom for the whole floor or a shared bathroom with a room next mm-hmm. to you. And, and you start mm-hmm. reading the reviews and, and wow. Wow. Yeah. I, it, reviews are like dried blood, dead body. Like, <laughs> like you can't, you, you can't make up the stuff in these reviews. Yeah. And the thing, like with the ones I'm specifically referring to, basically they had a picture. It was uh, stacked four high, uh, two on each side. <laughs> Like bunk beds? Like like the birthing on a submarine. That's exactly what it looked like. I had flashbacks from my seven years in the Navy, and I was like, I'm not paying $95 a night to sleep in this because, number one, I have no secure place to put my uh, things, and number two, um, yeah. I'm going to sleep on something like a submarine. I mean, I've got my dolphins. It's going to be a real submarine. It, it just boggled my mind that it was that, that was an option, but uh, yeah, you're, you're not going to pay RSA prices. And, and people are leaving San Francisco. You know, I was reading this the other day at, at record rates, uh, faster than any other city, I think, because of, of this. People actually live that way. Like what you're looking at for the week of RSA, like people live like that. Yeah. Like they share a single room with strangers in a house. Yeah. And it's one of those things where they are very, um, uh, how do I put this? Nomadic. Um, very minimalist and it's like being here in Tennessee, you know, you have people, they'll buy a house and live in it until they die. Uh, you don't see people moving around a lot here and people who do move around like myself, like I move every one to three years, uh, people look at me like, what's he trying to hide? You know, and, and another thing, if, if you do decide to come to B-Sides Knoxville, you're only about 30 to 45 minutes away from Gatlinburg and the Smoky Mountains. Dollywood will be open. You could go there. Yep. Uh, all kinds of cool coasters. It's a one-day conference on Friday. Take that whole weekend, you know, bring up the family, you know, once the conference is over. 
And yeah, there, there's tons of great stuff to do. Uh, I think last year the Biscuit Festival was going on at the same time mm-hmm. as uh, as B sides. I, I don't know what's going on at the same time this year. I do know uh, what we made that's sure going on at the same time. We made sure it wasn't another tech conference because we had that problem last year. We we coincided with Codestock and we we fixed that this year. Nothing like seeing devs and security people slap fighting in the parking lot. <laughs> Actually, the day after Besides Knoxville, and I'm going to have a later episode about this, uh, in Asheville, North Carolina, just two hours away from Knoxville, uh, the right. inaugural Blue Ridge Con is going to go down as well. So uh, if you want to hit two cons um, within a relatively close distance, uh, both affordable, uh, both very grassroots, uh, that's another option to go for as well. A bunch of us are going um, over there. You know, I, I don't know if we're going to share a car or rent a van or something like that, but yeah, a bunch of us. Make sure if you get a van, you don't get any windows in it. <laughs> okay. I won't be there, so I won't be able to nope. harass you guys at all. But uh, with, with that being said, um, let's go ahead and transition. Um, I'm going to open the floor to you to shamelessly plug any and everything you want, whether it be you, yourself. Tell people how to contact you on social media, however you want to be contacted. Shamelessly plug any and everything as well. <laughs> I'm not good at that. I, you know, most of my slides, I, I leave out any kind of slide that's about me. You know, I figure, I, you know, I, I make no special effort to hide my identity online. So my name is pretty much the only thing you need to find out everything and anything that I'm involved with that I do. Shameless plug. Yeah, so I'm actually um, in between gigs at the moment and considering different options. Uh, you know, I may fire up Savage Security again and continue with that. Um, I, I may choose a corporate gig. You know, I know which one my, my wife would, would vote for. You know, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's been long hours starting and owning uh, my own business uh, with Kyle. And Kyle is actually on sabbatical now uh, in, indefinitely. So, it, it, you know, if I did start up something again, uh, it, it would be a solo gig. You know, so I'm, I'm I'm definitely leaning, I think, towards the the side of taking something with with a more regular, dependable paycheck. You know, it's it's uh, hint hint uh, hint hint wink wink nod nod. <laughs> if anyone's interested in hiring Adrian, reach out uh, via any applicable platform. When, when, when are you posting this? It may, it may be too late at that point. You know, I, I I'm I'm gonna have it, it will be after. Yeah, it's going to be after RSA and before besides yeah. Knoxville. So um, when you hear this, check with Adrian. He may be available. He may yeah, not. Yeah, it, it's, it's – um, I'm not in a rush at this point. You know, I, uh, I reached out and, uh, you know, there's still a lot of people wanting to work with uh, Savage Security. And uh, it's going to be very tempting to keep that going on, you know, because there's something about creating your own thing, creating your own brand that's very rewarding. And uh, I've got all kinds of ideas and, and, and things that I've built and am building. And, you know, I'm looking forward to, to sharing with everyone, uh, you know, that, that we're getting out there. You know, I did a, uh, a workshop at InfoSec World uh, that I'm now doing as a virtual training class, you know, that I'm, I'm very excited about. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, yeah, may, may, may still be available. You know, may decide to go solo again, may decide to, uh, I, I don't know. I'm not often a, a free agent. You know, it's about every four years I I consider doing something new. So, And, and what is your Twitter handle? Zawaba. 
Yeah, so Avery Zawaba is my online handle. It is the worst misspelling I've ever seen of both my first and last name. Uh, and so my Twitter handle is just at sign S-A-W-A-B-A, which I pronounce Zawaba with a, a Z sound. Ah, that's very elegant and fancy of you. Um, and the final thing, um, for any InfoSec noob, what advice would you give to them? Mm. If you're an InfoSec noob, I, I hope you're a veteran of something else. So th this is uh, ju just my personal take. You know, I, th I think you need something, some kind of solid base to do security. Uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of entry-level security opportunities. Um, in, in most cases, you're going to want some kind of IT skill set uh, under you. Or, you know, I mean, these days, security is big enough that, you know, even people coming out of political science and stuff like that, you know, fi finding, you know, privacy or security-related gigs they can do. You know, so it, it's as varied as it's ever been. But, you know, working for a security department for an enterprise or something like that, or as a consultant, uh, you definitely want some uh, solid IT base underneath you. You need to understand how networks work, how databases work, uh, how operating systems function. Um, you know, you need a solid, solid uh, background there. But... Um, if you've got that, assuming you've got that, and you want to break into security, uh, the way I did it, I built a lab at home. You know, there's tons of resources out there. Get on Twitter, ask people to help you. I've mentored a bunch of people. Ask me, ask Joe. Um, a lot of people in the industry are more than happy to jump in, help you uh, along your path, you know, find your next step, find your next job even. You know, sometimes I, I feel more like a, some days I feel more like a headhunter than a, uh, you know, uh, an entrepreneur or a business owner. So here's a couple of shameless plugs based off things you said. Uh, another resource, uh, if you're looking out to your community, uh, check out your area and see if there if if you have a local DefCon chapter. Like for example, Adrian and I and I are both members of uh, DC eight six five, and we. Uh, we cover a lot of uh, stuff right now. We're working on some forensic stuff. We're going to be doing some um, dry runs for some of the B-Sides Knoxville speakers. Uh, but then we'll resume uh, the digital forensic side and uh, finish file system forensics. We're going to do a for, uh, digital forensics and incident response capture the flag. Um, and I think uh, starting in the summer leading up basically between B-Sides Knoxville and Hacker Summer Camp, I think we're going to go through wireless hacking tutorials. So. Not all DEF CON chapters do that kind of stuff. Some, it's just show up and do capture the flag. Some come in, hear a talk, whatever. Uh, but get involved with your security community. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention uh, my Through the Hacking Glass mentorship platform that uh, I'm uh, working with the co-founder, Brian Austin, in conjunction with Peerlist for. Uh, I just released... Um, what I've referred to as a state of the union today on peer list. Uh, we're trying to get uh, the ball rolling and start assigning mentors to mentees in June and have level one of all five roles ready to roll out uh, during hacker summer camp uh, in Vegas. The opportunities are there. If, if you truly want to know something and you're willing to put the effort in, there's no reason that you shouldn't succeed at that. If you're willing to ask and, you know, obviously um, go about it the right way, you don't arrogance won't go too far in this industry with you. So um, being humble and expect when you ask a question to someone that's mentoring you, uh, expect to get a question 
as the response. Um, so you might not get spoon fed things. <laughs> you, or, or, or the answer, it depends. That's a very common that's one. Our, that's our favorite response to questions. It depends. Yes and no. Or that is a good question. So here's a little bit about that topic. You go off and learn this stuff and come back and talk to me about it. Uh, that's my favorite thing about security is I've had noobs ask me questions that I'm pretty sure have not been asked in our field yet. You know, yeah. we're young enough that that can still happen. Oh, absolutely. And it's so multidimensional that, um, you know, we've been in industry for, you know, I've been in it for eight years. You've been in it based on your experience and talking on the show 14 years. Um, so I won't try to put a date stamp on you or anything. I'm I'm older than that. Yeah, no. <laughs> you've been time stomped. There you yeah. go. Um, but even with that, you know, whenever I was teaching, uh, some students would just ask a question out of the blue and it's like, you know, that's a really good question. I'm surprised it's never been asked before. And it's just one of those things that we get so focused yeah. on what we think about what is normal uh, and what is taboo to talk about. When some noob comes in and asks mm -hmm. one of those questions, it's like, wow. Well, and, um, and, and honestly, one of these B-Sides conferences is a great place if you're new to get all of that all at once, you know, yep. make, make some connections, network with some people, get some business cards, get some uh, Twitter handles, um, get some stickers, you know, listen to some talks, you know, we're going to have, we always have some talks that are, that are gauged more towards newcomers to the field. Uh, and, and sometimes we have relatively newcomers giving the talks, you know, we've only been uh, in the field for uh, a couple of years. So it, yeah, a, a B-Sides conference uh, especially is, is a great place to, you know, great uh, boot camp for any kind of newcomer to the field. I couldn't have said it better myself. And on that note, uh, that's all for this episode. So until next time, stay secure. I have a few deals that I would like to let you know about. First and foremost, if you want to attend Hacker Halted for free September 13th and 14th in Atlanta, Georgia, please use code HH18JGCON. HH as in Hacker Halted, 18 as in 2018, JG as in Joe Gray, and Con as in Conference uh, for free admission. A normal ticket value is $199. You can also get 25% off your EC Council training of choice, such as Certified Ethical Hacker, Computer Hacking Forensics Investigator. Certified CISO, and ECSA, EC Council Certified Security Administrator, using coupon code HH18JJTRN. HH18JJTRN. Register at HackerHalted.com. Additionally, if you would like $100 off an EC Council Storm Kit, which is a touchscreen Raspberry Pi kit with a USB mobile keyboard uh, containing Kali Linux. Use coupon code JGRAYSTORM at iClass.ecouncil.org. Another project that I'm invested in is called Through the Hacking Glass. It is in conjunction with Brian Austin and Peerlist. For more information, please go to peerlist.com and check out hashtag Through the Hacking Glass or hashtag TTHG. You can email us at tthg at peerlist.com. 
Thank you for listening to the Advanced Persistent Security Podcast. Until next time, stay secure and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast.